0: You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Okay, you can go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, and while you're turning there, let me uh, throw out a couple of quick things. Um, One is, didn't Dan do just a wonderful job last week? Gosh, just did so good. I was, uh, I was very encouraged last week after listening to him. And uh, man, the Spirit of God really used that in my own heart personally. And so I don't know if Dan is in this service or not this morning, but wherever Dan is, thank you for your work and labor last week. And secondly, while you're turning to... Uh to Exodus chapter 20, I, I wanna get you up to date in um, just a really important moment in our country's history that's happening uh, this week, and I wanna ask you to pray for that, and I'm actually gonna ask you to fast and pray over that this week. On Tuesday, uh, the Supreme Court is going to be uh, hearing oral, oral arguments for, uh, uh, for a redefinition of marriage, to not just be one man and one woman, but to be uh, you know, any sort of combination out there. And so um, in light of that, um, I want to ask you to pray on Tuesday for that. And uh, to not just pray, but I'm going to ask you to actually forego food for a day and to fast and pray over that. And, uh, and, and I, this is what I, I'm asking for that, is that God, by his just common grace for our country, would keep marriage as between one man and one woman. And, uh, but, but secondly, I also want to ask you to pray for our church, not just our country and just this whole issue. It's the defining issue of our day. And, and by the way, I want to try to preach a sermon over this in the next few months just to try to help us think in, in really biblical ways about these things, um, to make sure that we're all theologically informed um, as, we, as we have these sort of conversations, to make sure the self-righteousness in many of our hearts with this issue is dealt with as we have these sort of conversations. And so um, that, that's coming. But I want to ask you to pray for our country in light of that, but I also want to ask you to pray for our church in light of, of this issue. And uh, you know, when it comes to marriage, there are many ways that we can disgrace marriage and God's designed for it. And one way is to redefine marriage as something that would be outside of God's design for marriage. That's one way to do that. But another way that we can equally disgrace marriage is by, by agreeing with God's design for marriage, entering into marriage, and not living rightly in it. That is an equally big way to disgrace God's institution of marriage and God's design for marriage. And, uh, you know, it, it It would be no stretch to say that over the last 24 months in our church family, the most pressing things that that our pastors here have been dealing with, our home group leaders have been dealing with, is trying to walk with people in really hard situations in their marriages. And I want to ask you just to intercede on behalf of our church family, on behalf of the couples that are struggling through these things, on behalf of our leaders and home group leaders that are are laboring beside these couples, to, to intercede and to pray for them. And to fast and pray that God would break through the the hardness there, that he would give humility there, that he would grant repentance in these issues and areas that that we're all dealing with. And so I wanna ask you to pray for both of those two things this week and to fast and pray for both of those two things that we would see um, God uh, do some really great things on a country level, just his common grace and for this church family, his personal and particular grace to his sons and daughters as as he helps us in these areas. Okay, we are in Exodus chapter 20. And uh, so this is uh, part... Part eight of a set of sermons on the Ten Commandments, and uh, we're about halfway through now. So so we're on our way through the Ten Commandments here. And, uh, you know, as we kind of get our bearings on the Fifth Commandment, we're in the fifth one today, I I want us to step back and look at the commandments as a whole just to get our, our bearings around where we are kind of in this set of sermons and where we are in the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments have traditionally been understood as two tables. So there's two tables that make up the ten. Table one is the first four commandments. Commandments one through four are the first table. And they primarily deal with what it looks like to love God. Now, there's obvious overlap between the two, but it primarily gives shape and form to what does it look like for the children of God to actually love God in their life? That's the first table. Then you get the second table. And the second table deals not primarily with how we love God. It deals primarily with how we love our neighbor. It's horizontal love. This is the second table. Commandments five through 10, deal with that. Now, here's the interesting thing I just want you to consider right off the bat this morning, right off the top, is that when, when God is, is now on the neighbor love side of this, horizontal love, what is it gonna look like for you to love your neighbor? Isn't it interesting that his first stop before marriage, before a lot of other things, his first stop is in the home in how we relate to our parents, that is God's first stop for dealing with what does it look like for you to love your neighbor. In essence, he's saying our first stop in neighbor love is in your home. Your first neighbor, this is going to be your first introduction to authority in your life. Your first neighbor is your mom and dad. That's neighbor number one. This is where, this is where neighbor love begins. You know, it was interesting, uh, Augustine, he said this, he, just emphasizing the importance of this command. And by the way, I think it's fair to say that if, if we don't get this relationship right, if we don't, if we, if we don't figure out what it looks like to, to honor our mom and dad, I'll bet you in your life there is a trail of broken relationships around that. So it is imperative that we think this one through. That This one sets the tone, for the rest of your relationships in your life. How you deal with this relationship sets the tone for the rest of them. Now, Augustine picked up on this, the church father. Uh, He said this, just emphasizing the importance of this command. He said, if a person fails to honor his parents, is there anyone else that he will spare? And I just think there's truth to that. If we don't get this one right, chances are you're going to see this problem right here creep its way into a lot of other relationships that you have. Neighbor love begins with this. Exodus 20 verse 12 says this. Honor your father and your mother that that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I'm gonna read that one more time. And this time when I read this, I I wanna get you just for, for a second, close your eyes just for a moment. And I want you to feel this command for a moment. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Okay, now I want you to open your eyes and I want you to empathize with me for just a moment here. And I want you to feel the complexity of this command and trying to preach this command to this group of people. And here's why this is such a complex thing to preach to this group of people. Is some of us in the room, when we just closed our eyes and heard that, that command read, command number five, there was a deep sense of yes to that command. And here's the reason. It's because God graced you with really good moms and dads. So that when you hear mother, or, you know, father and mother next to the word honor, it makes perfect sense to you. There's a deep sense of like, yes to that, I should be doing that. You've got really soft, warm, affectionate thoughts when you think about your mom and your dad. So, so this command it feels like, yes, that makes such sense to me when I hear that. But for others in this room, there is a deep sense of no to that. I mean, when you heard that, you just threw up in your mouth just a little bit. And here's the reason is because your mom and dad were not that good. And, I, and because I know so many of the stories in this room, I know the sort of gut-wrenching examples that, that give credence to that and to give credibility to that. And that's everything from very hurtful words on this side to, to way over here, unspeakable abuses. And that's all in this room. So that when, when some of you hear this, this honor next to you know, father and mother, it literally feels like someone is asking you to celebrate the life of Hitler. It feels like someone's asking you to cheer on the life of a criminal. And, and to, regardless of where you are in the room on that spectrum, and it is complex, man, I feel that in such real ways this morning as I'm trying to apply that. Regardless of where we are on that spectrum, I wanna just take a moment to remind us all of the framework of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are our God who in his grace is looking at his sons and daughters. He is sitting them down for a little family meeting. This is his sons and daughters whom he's already set free and redeemed. He's already busted them out of the land of Egypt. He's already redeemed us. He's set us free. Now he's got us on the couch and God as our father is looking at us. He bends down on one knee and says, now I want to remind you of what it looks like to live free. These are not just arbitrary things that I'm telling you to do. I'm looking at you as my son and daughter and I'm showing you where life is going to be found. I'm not trying to rob you of joy. I'm not trying to make your life more difficult. I am trying to walk you into fullness of life and this is the first stop in doing that. When it comes to neighbor love, this is our first stop in, in, in this fullness of life that I would want you to have. So I just want us to hear that this command through that grid, regardless of where we sit. This is a good daddy looking at you this morning, saying, let me me walk you into life. Will you allow me to hold your hand as difficult as this could be and to walk you to good places in this command? So with that said, I'm just gonna frame this around several questions. And and here's question number one. Who do we honor? So in in the fifth commandment, who is it that, that God is calling us to honor? And it's pretty clear. It's your mother and your father. It's both and, it's, it's your parents, your, your father and your mother. Now this would have been very countercultural in this very patriarchal sort of society. God is looking in, in Exodus 20, as he does throughout the Bible, and he is giving much dignity to ladies. He's saying, listen, sons and daughters, this is not just meant to be for your dad. This is meant to be for both your mother and your father. This is a both and proposition. This command covers both of them. You're to show honor to both your father and your mother. Now, let me just take a brief moment here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time applying it in this way, but I want us all to get a sense this morning that although this command is is easiest to apply to to your mother-father relationship, this first kind of means of authority that God gives us in our life, that is not the only place that this command is applicable to. It's not just here. It is in, in, in the home, but it's also outside of the home. Now, in our first sermon on the Ten Commandments, we talked about rules of interpreting the Ten Commandments, and we went through several of them. And one of those rules was the rule of categories. And now that's a really important thing for you to get your mind around when you read the Ten Commandments. And here's what the rule of categories is showing us. That when you're reading any one of the Ten Commandments, that commandment is not just addressing a particular sin, It is a, it's addressing the whole category of sin that it stands for. So if you take commandment nine, do not lie, that is not just addressing, do not, you know, represent, you know, something is true that is false with your lips. It is representing the whole category or in old language, the whole species of sins that, that deal with your lips. It's addressing the whole category of how we're to use our words for the good of other people. So it's not just don't lie. It's also don't gossip. Right? It's also use your words to impart grace to other people, to build others up, as Ephesians 4 would tell us. It's the whole category of sin that is your lips. Now, think about this and applied to commandment number five. It is not just addressing how we're interacting to the authority of our parents. It is addressing how we are interacting to all authority in our life. So it's not, it is in the home, it's easiest to apply in the home, but it's more than just in the home. It would also be in our communities. So this is how Paul applies it in the New Testament, in Romans 13, one. This will be on the screen for you. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So that means part of the application of this command is, how do, you, how do you talk about the president of the United States? Agree or disagree, how do you talk about him? It, it would apply to, how, how do you deal with your state kind of representatives? How, how do you deal with local law enforcement? How do you deal with the president of your little neighborhood HOA when they're really a pain? It applies to all of that. So it's not just in the home, it's also in our communities. But it's not just in our communities, it's also in the workplace. We talked about this a few weeks ago, Ephesians chapter six, verse five. Bond servants. I think the easiest application of this text in 21st century life is your workplace. So bond servants or employees, obey your earthly masters or your bosses, your employers with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. So the application of this command would, would you know, kind of translate into and and seep its way into how do you deal with your employer, with with the authority that God has put over you in your workplace? Same kind of thing applies there. And it's not just in our communities. It's not just in our work. It's also in the church, Okay, this is Hebrews 13, 17. The New Testament applies it in this way too. Obey your leaders and submit to them. That's talking about in the context of the church. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I shudder every time I read that phrase. They'll have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would would be of no advantage to you. So it's not just in the home, it's in the community. Not just in the community, it's in the workplace. Not just in the workplace, it's in the church. It's in every area, in every relationship where you are relating to a person who God has put over you as your authority. Commandment five applies to all of those things. So I'm not going to apply that to all those diverse sort of situations this morning. I'm going to apply it primarily to the home. But some of us really do need to feel this commandment applied to other issues as well. We need to feel this in our workplace. We need to feel this with how we speak about um, elected officials. We, we need to feel that in a lot of different ways. I'm gonna pr- apply it primarily to the home this morning though. So who do we honor? It's, you know, mother and father is, is the key here, but it's all authority in our life. Here's the second question. How do we honor? So, so what does it mean to honor? What does it look like to honor? When, when this command says, honor your father and your mother, what does the word honor mean? Okay, now in, in trying to... to to work through that and think this through, I think the first thing that we've gotta come to grips with is what is the word honor? Okay, It is an Old Testament word that gets a lot of mileage. And most of the time in the Old Testament, it is used, or it's translated like this, glory. It's the word that, 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 that means there's a weightiness about it. It's a word that means it's heavy, it's significant. And so when you're thinking about what does it mean to honor your, your father and your mother, that informs what it's talking about. To honor your father and your mother means that you treat them as significant. It means that, that, that you, you don't, you know the opposite would be trivializing them, making them feel insignificant. It, 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 to honor them means that you're giving them weight in your life, that you're considering them, that they factor into the way that you're thinking about your life. This is what it means to honor them. Let me just kind of give you a working definition that would kind of summarize that word. And this will be on the screen for you. What does it mean to honor your father and your mother or any authority that is placed over you? It's a disposition of the heart that treats your parents with obedience, reverence, and gratefulness. Let me just look at kind of two sides of that. First, it's a disposition. That means it is bigger than your external behavior. It's like the posture of your heart toward your parents. That you're you're not going to fulfill this commandment by just doing some things. The only way you're ever going to fulfill this commandment is for God to change your heart and the way, like the posture of your heart and the way that you're relating to them. The, The background script that is behind all of your external actions toward them. So it's a disposition of the heart. And then there's these three words I want to focus on. It's the word obedience. So there is a they say something, we obey, sort of a thing in honoring. The second one is that there's reverence. You're giving weight, esteem, value, honor. You're giving that sort of respect to them. So there's reverence and there's gratefulness, knowing that there is no authority in your life that has not been placed there specifically and particularly by the hand of a sovereign God who calls himself a father to you. So there's a gratefulness there. So there's those three things. Now, um, the application of this gets so hairy because the situations are so complex in this room. So let me just try to apply it broadly to, to the different stages of life. One of the things that make this interesting to try to apply is, people are different ages. So therefore the way that we're relating to our parents changes based on those ages. So let me just work through a few categories of this to try to make sense of some of that. Let me start with the category of young kids in the room. Young kids. So we've got a boat full of these guys in our house right now. Got 48 of them. That's what it feels like. So and all of ours are seven and down. And so the way this generally gets applied in our house is, is through a very specific grid that's informed by Ephesians chapter six when Paul is applying this command to young children. In Ephesians six, he's specifically applying it to young kids and, and he translates honor as obey. So he, rather than using honor in Ephesians six one, he says, children obey your parents. So there is an emphasis on obedience for young kids. So when our um, kids, when we kind of work through the fifth commandment and we're talking about what does that commandment mean, here's what I generally say to them. It means that you immediately and you joyfully follow the instruction of your parents, of me and your mom. That's what it means. And now there's an immediacy thing to that. It's not delayed obedience. We're not looking in our home for, let me think about that for 15 minutes and then I might obey. That's not what we're looking for. That's not living in obedience right? It is immediate obedience, not delayed obedience, and it's joyful. Now, that crawls right behind your external actions directly into your heart, right? We're not looking for begrudging obedience. We're looking for joyful obedience. This is what it it would primarily look like in a young child's life. It looks like joyful and immediate obedience. Now, parents, you've got to keep that in mind. If you've got young kids in your house The way they learn how to follow and obey God is by learning how to follow and obey you. This is why we have to be very diligent in this, especially when they're young, to emphasize obedience. It's immediate and it's joyful. This is what it looks like for young kids. The emphasis out of those three words, you know, you've got obedience, reverence, and gratefulness. The emphasis for young kids is on obedience. Obedience is emphasized up here. The other two fall down here somewhere. Now, let's talk about adolescence. Gets all sorts of complicated here, right? As children grow, but are still on the payroll of the parents, right? So they're still in your home, living under your roof. Here's how I would describe the dynamic between these three words of obedience, reverence, and gratefulness. For our adolescent years, so we're growing in maturity, but we're still under the authority of our parents, direct authority of our parents. All three of these words now become equally emphasized. Obedience is emphasized reverence is emphasized, gratefulness is emphasized. All three are equally emphasized in their life. So teenagers in the room, I wanna chat with you for just a second. And first of all, if you're a teenager in this room right now, I wanna just first say, I'm so grateful that you're here. I I, I cannot imagine a better room for you to be in this morning than for you to watch your parents worship and engage with God, for you to hear them listen to a sermon, seek to apply it to their life, I I do not think there is a better place for you personally to be than right there uh, alongside your parents as this thing is happening this morning. So I want you to know that we're so grateful for you. And secondly, I want to empathize with you. The teenage years, and I think every adult in here would agree with this, the teenage years are some of the best and the worst of your life. It's the weirdest combination of those two things, right? And, and so much of that worst part is, is, in a sense, you're growing in your independence, but you're still completely dependent. You're still under the roof of a mom and a dad. So you're growing in that. You're trying to spread your wings, but you've got a mom and dad who are continuing to look at you and saying and knowing you're just not quite ready, right? So you've got just that really difficult thing that plays out in the life of a teenager. That, man, if you're a teenager in the room, I just wanna empathize, that is hard, Mixed into that, you've got hormones raging. You just got all sorts of crazy stuff happening in you. It's just a really hard season of life. And on top of all of that, you've got a culture who says it is completely assumed and normal that you will go crazy when you're a teenager. And to all of that, I want to encourage all of our teenagers in the room. I want to beg you to pursue this commandment, to pursue it to pursue what would it look like for me to be a teenager who actually honors my mom and my dad. Obedience, reverence, gratefulness for all three of those things to be present. I mean, I just wanna pull the rope against that cultural assumption that you have to go crazy if you're a teenager. If you're a Christian and you're a teenager, that means the spirit of God lives in you. You don't have to go crazy. You don't have to rebel. I I think it would be... um, I think it would be adequate to say this to to every teenager. I think the number one way you can show the difference that Jesus makes in a person's life as a teenager, I think the number one way you can show that is by honoring your mom and your dad. It's that countercultural. It's that rare in our culture. I think it's the number one way you can show your peers around you, Jesus actually makes a difference in me. He actually does something. I think it's the number one way that you could, you could show that. So teenagers in the room, let me just ask you the question. Are you obeying your mom and dad? Like it's immediate and joyful. That sort of obedience, is that happening? Are you showing proper respect and reverence? And the tone by which you address them and approach them, is there proper reverence there? Is there a gratefulness there? When is the last time you've looked at your mom and dad in light of all the sacrifices they have made for you and said, I want you to know I'm thankful for that. And this is what it looks like to honor your mom and dad as a teenager. All three of those words are equally um, emphasized. Now let's apply it to older children. Now here's the thing about commandment number five. I think if you're uh, you know, 40 and have several kids, this is the commandment that you're like, woo, I'm glad my kids are here to hear this one. Right, Like, let me give you a notepad and a pencil, and let's make sure you take great notes. I think, it's the, this, I think it's the one command that we're most likely to think, this is for them, not for me. Okay, now, can we all just see, that there's not one of these Ten Commandments that is just addressed to children. They're addressed to all of us in the room. And, and the truth is, for all of us, we never grow out of being a child. We're always going to be someone's kid. Someone's always gonna be our parent. So there is always for the rest of your life, until you die, there will be this commandment sitting over your life saying, God looking at you saying, I want you to honor your mother and your father. You've got this sitting, we all had this for the rest of our lives sitting over our lives. So what does it look like for an older adult? Now, one thing that's gotta be explained here, and it's really important that you catch what I'm about to say. We can't linger long here, but this is really, really important that you get this. There is a change at some point in a person's life about what it means to honor your mother and your father. Somewhere along the way that the thing changes, what is emphasized begins to change again. When you're young, obedience is emphasized. You got reverence and gratefulness down here. When you're a teenager, all three get emphasized. But there is a point in a person's life when obedience decreases, the emphasis decreases on obedience and reverence and gratefulness increase. Now that, okay, now let me explain when that change happens in a person's life. That change happens when either of two moments go down. One is that you get married and you leave and cleave. So you're leaving the, the direct authority of your parents in that moment and, and you're setting up a new authority in your own home. Now if you are, you know, and, and this is why there are mother-in-law jokes, Right? This is the, you know, if if you don't do that, if you don't leave and cleave, if if there's not a a difference in how honoring plays out, if you don't get out of the direct authority, obedience language, and and emphasize that the respect and gratefulness language, it's gonna produce all sorts of problems. When a parent comes in to a married child and says, you should do your marriage like this or else, that's gonna be a real problem if everybody in that marriage, the son and daughter are like, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, let's do it. That's gonna be a real issue. So there, there is a sense in which when you leave and cleave in marriage, that authority changes. Obedience is de-emphasized. Reverence and gratefulness is emphasized. Now here's the other side of that. So marriage is one, and when you stop receiving money is the other. When you become de- you know, independent. So you're no longer on their payroll. They're no longer kind of you know, bankrolling your endeavors. Okay, when those two moments happen... Marriage on one side, and the money issue on the other. You're no longer consistently receiving money from your parents. When either of those two moments happen, is when this change happens from the de you know, emphasizing obedience and emphasizing now the reverence and the gratefulness component of it. Now, let me apply this specifically to college students because we have a lot of college students that go to Stonegate. Because you're in the weird in between, and if you're in college. I'm going to make the case for most of you, you still have all three being emphasized. Obedience, reverence, and gratefulness. Unless you are married, marriage has begun, or money stops. So if if you're in college and you're not married and your parents are paying for your tuition, you're you're in the category of all three being emphasized. Okay, now let me apply this to older adults and just some ways that I think we can show gratefulness and reverence to our parents. Let me just give you a couple of these. I'm gonna run through these really quickly. Here's one way. We honor our parents by living godly lives. This is the number one way you can honor your parents is to not go crazy. To live a life that would glorify and honor God. And by doing that, you're gonna honor your mom and dad. You're gonna show honor to them by living wise lives. Here's the second way. We honor our parents by speaking kindly to them and about them. That there should be an appropriate tone by which we address our parents. It should not be a tone of agitation. It should not be a tone of irritability. It should not be a tone of disrespect. It should be a kind tone that is heaping honor and grace upon our parents. Thirdly, we honor our parents by giving them time. By allowing them to have an influence on how we're living our life by not shutting them out of our lives, right? By by giving them consideration in the way that we organize our life, by keeping them in the loop about what's happening in our life, by calling them consistently, by inviting them into your life. This is one of the ways you show honor to your parents. Number four, by expressing gratefulness to them. By, By there being moments where you look at your mom and dad and just you say to them, I am so grateful for you for this thing that you did, for that thing that you did, from this thing that I learned from you, from that thing that I learned from you. I am grateful for you for those things, for you to actually express those to them. And fifthly, and I wanna emphasize this one, spend just a few minutes on this one, by caring for them in their old age. That is a massive part of what it looks like to honor our parents. And, and you know, Jesus models this for us. He, first of all, he applies this command in that way. In Matthew chapter 15, um, the Pharisees are trying to get around honoring their parents through financially supporting them. And Jesus totally applies this command to say that you are, you are breaking the fifth commandment in the way you're approaching that. So part of what it means to honor your parents is by caring for them in their old age. And we see Jesus perfectly model this for us. In John, some of his last words, right before he's about to die, he looks at John, his beloved disciple, then looks at his mom and says, John, will you please treat her like your mom? Care for her and honor her. Step into my role for her. Right, So this is a massively important part of what it means to honor our mother and our father. And this needs to be heard in our culture and talked about in our culture. I recently read a study that said half of Americans believe they are responsible to care for their parents in their old age. One half. That means one half right now in America are saying, nope, not my responsibility. Not not, not my role. And that is our role. And that's not all burden. That is blessing from God to be able to do that. So this is how we honor our mother and our father. Third question. Why do we honor our parents? So what's the reason for this? Like, why do we do this? I mean, just briefly give you two things. Number one is because it's commanded. I mean, this is actually God looking at us and not suggesting something. He's commanding us to honor our mother and our father. I mean, he's giving real clear instructions about what our life is to look like. And I think this is the best way to kind of talk about this command. that honoring our father and our mother is one way that we honor God. But by, by obeying, but by, by giving reverence to, but by, by being grateful for, that is one of the ways we show reverence to and, and express our gratefulness and our obedience to God. Those two things are directly tied together. So let me ask you this question in light of that, in light of how you honor your parents being directly tied to your obedience and how you honor God. Let me ask it like this. If all we looked at over the last, let's just say six months of your life was how you honored your parents, if that's the only thing we looked at, what would that show us about your honor and obedience to Jesus? That's like one of those moments where you have to like take the dagger out of your heart, Right? Like, this is what Jesus wants us to feel. That, like, your obedience to me is tied up in your obedience to this command. On you honoring your mother and your father. That those two things are directly related to one another. So it's commanded. Here's the second reason. Is God makes a promise. That that God puts a promise at the end of this to incentivize us obeying this commandment. And here's the promise. In Ephesians 6, Paul's really quick to to pick up on this, that this is the first commandment with a promise. And and here's the promise in in Exodus 20, verse 12. God says it like this, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, what does that mean? What what is he saying there? Now, let, let me clarify that he is not saying if you obey this command, you're gonna live until you're 80, maybe even 90. That's not what he's saying here. He is giving proverbial wisdom. He is is showing us the way life will typically and generally work out for a human being when they honor their mother and their father. And here's the way life will generally work out for a human being. The quantity and quality of their life will be richer and better. That your life will, will be better for you. It will go better for you. It will be richer, more robust, more full if you live in this command. This is, what, this is what God is saying. He's incentivizing this command by saying, your life is going to go better if you'll do this. Generally speaking, this is the way your life will work if you will listen and honor and respect and be grateful for your mom and your dad. Now, this is echoed throughout the Proverbs. Let me just give you a couple examples of this. Proverbs 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching. Now listen to how similar this is to this commandment. But let, your heart, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. It's the same sort of a field. It's proverbial wisdom here. Proverbs 4, chapter, 10, or chapter four, verse 10. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. Proverbs eight thirty two. And now, oh sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Now teenagers, I wanna have just a quick conversation with you. If you're a teenager, I want you to make sure you look up at me right now. Let's make some eye contact. When I was 15 years old, I was shocked at how dumb I thought my parents were. I I mean, it shocks me still to this day on how, I mean, I thought they didn't know up from down when I was 15. And I thought I was the smartest guy alive at 15. And it took me way too long to realize I was not nearly as smart as I thought and my parents weren't nearly as dumb as I thought. It took me way, way too long to realize that. And so for, for every teenager in the room, I wanna beg you to consider the promise associated, you know, associated with this commandment. That God is looking at you this morning and saying, I am not trying to rob you of life in telling you to honor your mother and your father, which is gonna mean obedience, reverence, gratefulness. I am not trying to rob you of life. I am trying to walk you into life. I'm trying to give you life. I'm trying to walk you into fullness of life. So will you please trust me here? Trust me that I know more about your life than you do. Trust me that I'm smarter than you. Trust me that your life will generally go much better for you. Quantity and quality, if you will listen to your parents, if you will honor them, if you'll respect them, if you'll be grateful for them, if you'll obey them, it will go better for you. Man, I just pray that the Spirit of God would find soft, fertile, good soil in your heart to plant that right now. Now, let me apply this to older older children in the room. So, you're older, you're an older adult, you've maybe got a family working of your own, you've got that. I think it is maybe more difficult to live well in this in our old age than it is when we're younger. As hard as it is when we're teenagers, I think it can be actually more difficult when we're older adults trying to figure this thing out. And so that leads us into the last question How do we honor dishonorable parents? How does that play out? How do we honor the dishonorable? For for parents that we're looking at just thinking, man, they're just, I mean, it feels like I'm honoring a criminal here. How how do we go about doing this? Now, let me just point out this in this command, command number five. I think one of the hardest things about this commandment is it's absolutized. I mean, it doesn't give like exceptions to it. It doesn't say honor your mother and your father as long as fill in the blank, as long as they deserve it as long as they are honorable. It doesn't give any of those things. It gives it without exception. It makes it, it states it in absolute sort of language. It's just simply, you, you honor them. So that leads to, I think, a very pressing question that many of us need to get clarity on. What does it look like for us to honor our parents when they're just, they have not been good? They are difficult. I mean, it's really, really hard. What does it look like then? And now let me just, you know, broaden this out to also, I'm um, Cover in-laws. Can we talk about in-laws? Is that okay? I feel like any time we do that, I always have to throw my one in-law joke out. Can we do that? All right, good. Um, do y'all know the difference between in-laws and outlaws? Outlaws are wanted. Is that not great? I love that joke. It's like my one joke that I've got, and I play it all the time. So we've got to do some work, though, on what does it mean in all of these situations, not just to our parents, but if we're married... To our wife or our husband's parents, what what does that look like? Let me give you a few things to think about with this. What does it mean to, to honor dishonorable parents? Here's the first one, we have to give grace. We have to give grace. And I think some of us just need to hear this, that many of us hold our parents to unmeetable standards. Standards that you are praying that your kids don't hold you to. That's the sort of standards that we are holding our parents to. I mean, there's going to be a day, I mean, I think this is helpful for us all to consider. There's going to be a day where, um, you know, regardless of how well you try to parent your kids, you're going to inflict deep damage to your kids. It's just a a fact of being a fallen parent. And, And there's going to be a day where you're going to pray for God to give the sort of grace to your kids to relate to you, right? You're hoping for that. You're praying for that. And I think we would do well to model that for our kids and how we're gonna give grace to them. You know, when, when it comes to this commandment, let me just re-emphasize this: it's not because your parents deserve it. It's because the nature of the gospel is God giving us things that we don't deserve. That's the reason that we are called to give grace. It's the reason that God is looking at us saying, love will co- cover a multitude of sin. So, so we've got to be people who are who are gonna be free and willing to give much grace to parents who have really struggled and have sinned against us in really, really horrible ways. Here's the second thing, is we've got to give forgiveness. One of the ways that that giving grace will show itself is by forgiving our parents. And listen, I know in this room, this this is driving right into the heart of really deep issues for us because many of us hold very deep grudges against our parents. The branch of bitterness has just, spread out in our heart and just totally enveloped it. And so I think we need to do some thinking about this. That part of what it means to give grace to our parents is that we're actually going to extend forgiveness toward them. Now, when you're thinking about forgiveness, I wanna be very careful with words here so that you're clear on this. There is a difference in forgiveness and being fully reconciled to a person. Being fully reconciled requires repentance for all sin that's happened. Okay, to be reconciled, it requires that. But to forgive that person does not require their repentance. To forgive that person does not mean they have responded well yet, that they have felt the weight of their sin against you. It doesn't mean any of those things. The obligation to forgive is universal for every Christian in every relationship that we have. That that obligation sounds like Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That sits on all of us regardless of whether or not that person, whether it be our mom or dad, whether it be that employer, whether it be that police officer, whether it be whoever in authority over us, regardless of whether or not they have responded in repentance. This commandment to forgive is is over us. That urging from God to forgive is, is on all of us in the room if we are harboring bitterness and resentment. I love what C.S. Lewis said about forgiveness. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And it's only when we come to grips with that that we'll begin to extend forgiveness to to our parents. So it means that we'll give forgiveness. Thirdly, giving honor, so part of what it means to honor dishonorable parents is that we give honor even when we're disagreeing. That even when we have to disagree, we're doing that disagreement in an honorable way. The, the, the posture of our heart is saying to them, but I, I don't wanna disagree with you in this moment. I want us to be on the same page. I want us to see eye to eye. Even in the midst of disagreeing, my tone and my posture is respectful and giving ample you know, reverence to them as my mother and my father, as, as my you know, God-ordained authority in my life. It's giving ample room for that. Now, parents, I, I just wanna warn you on this again that you are setting the example that your kids are going to see in how you respond to your parents, especially when they're dishonorable and when you disagree, you're modeling for your kids what you should expect your kids to do one day when they disagree with you. So there's going to be a day in the future where your kids look at you and are like, no. They're going to be 35, and they're just going to see something different than you. And the way you model this right now as you deal with your dishonorable parents is setting the tone and the default response they're going to have whenever they disagree with you someday down the road. And I think we would all do well to model what what it is that we would love for our kids to express when they're disagreeing with us one day, wouldn't we? Fourthly, we honor our our, our dishonorable parents by giving thanks for them, not by flattering them not by speaking lies about you know, trying to make them better than they were, but by speaking honestly about them, by honestly finding something about their life that you can affirm and applaud, something about their life that you can look at and say, I am grateful for that. Now, if you can't find anything grateful about your parents, it likely means that the branch of bitterness has spread out so far that every, the lens through which you see them has totally demonized them there's probably some repentance that needs to happen there in your heart if you can't find anything you know, that you can affirm in them. But part of what it would mean to, to, to honor a dishonorable parent is you find something about their life that you can applaud, some little thing about their life, something that you learned that was small from them and you point that out as a way to honor them. And lastly, that you give them prayer. The number one way you can serve any human being around you is by praying for them, especially your parents that are stuck in cycles of sin, this is the number one way you can serve them. It's the number one kindness you can do to your parents is to intercede on their behalf to God. For for you to approach God and to talk to God about that, for you to, to, to process with God your hurts and your hopes for them, for you to pray like that toward your parents. Now, let me end here. When you think about all the commandments, commandment number five in particular, the commandments are a mirror that show us what we really are and what we really need. And here is the thing Commandment five shows us: just how far the, the depths of sin goes in us, doesn't it? Just how far it goes. So how we respond to authority in our life, in particular our mother and our father, we have all got much repentance that's probably needed when we consider that. There's not a person in the room. There has never been a perfect child except Jesus, right? And that's what we really need. Jesus, our perfect law keeper. Now just think about God, the son, Jesus. He became a a human being. And he did, I would have come as like a 35 year old. He came as a little child. You know what that meant? He had to deal with with sinful parents. And you know the amazing thing about Jesus? He didn't sin against them. He, he He had to deal with parents who didn't understand him. And you know what he never did? Sin against them. Uh, Luke two fifty one says that he actually submitted himself to sinful parents. Can you imagine the humility that's embedded into that? And what we're seeing in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is one a model for us that Jesus is the perfect law keeper. We're seeing in His life the only perfect Son. The the only one that can say from the cradle to the cross, I have perfectly, I have perfectly honored my earthly parents and my heavenly father. I've perfectly done it. Perfectly done it. He is the one we need as our model and even more than our model as our substitute. In his life, death, and resurrection, here's what Jesus does for us. He says, I will take all of your disobedience, all of your lack of honoring your parents, I will take all of that on myself, and in my life, death, and resurrection, for all those who put their faith in me, I will give you my perfect record of righteousness. Isn't that great news for every one of us in the room? I'm reminded by these words from J.I. Packer when he's talking about just how the Ten Commandments are showing us what we're not or who we really are, namely, very sinful, lawbreakers. It's showing us that. And listen to how he he addresses when we're starting to feel that, that we are lawbreakers. Listen to how he encourages us. He says, suppose someone says, I try to keep the Ten Commandments seriously and and to live by them, but they just swamp me. I mean, it's like I just can't win in these Ten Commandments. He says this, every day that I fail somewhere in them, what am I to do? So you're just feeling like, man, this is too much. This is too big of a burden that God has put on me. Listen to what he says. The answer is, now that you know your own weakness and sinfulness, here's what we all get the privilege of doing this morning. We get to turn to God and to his son, Jesus Christ, for two things, pardon and power. Who doesn't need a lot of that this morning? Amen? Let's pray together. I to give you just a moment here to allow the Spirit of God to press into you the things that would be most helpful, and to wipe away the things that would not be. And this is our time to respond. And what it means to respond to God, first and foremost, to this commandment is that we actually become a child of God. And so that means that there are some of us in the room who this is the main application of this text for you this morning. For the first time in your life, you need to turn from your sin. You need to open up your your hands in your life and throw your life upon Jesus. And the great news of the gospel is that God this morning will save you if you do that. He will rescue you this morning right here in this room. He will make you a child. Jesus' perfect record of righteousness, his perfect law keeping will be applied to you. And all of your law breaking falls on Jesus. It's the best news in the universe. Now God adopts you into his family, makes you his own, empowers you with the spirit so that you can actually live in this command now. Some of us need this this morning. For the first time, we need to respond to Jesus and allow Jesus to be our substitute, to save us and to redeem us from sin. And if that's you, if you'll grab that card under your seat, fill out that black section of it and check that box on establishing a relationship with Jesus, we would love to follow up with you this week and to be able to encourage you in that. For others of us in the room this morning, we need to get this command deep in our bones. So that's gonna look like us thinking about how do we we relate to our mom and our dad? How do we relate to our in-laws? Are we showing them the sort of honor that God would call for? Are we loving Jesus by honoring our parents? And if not, and I just can't help but believe that for many of us in the room, that there is not right now a deep need for repentance. And here's the great thing. We don't have to repent in fear that God's gonna smash us this morning. We can repent in the hope of knowing that Jesus has covered all of our law breaking. We can repent in the hope that the Spirit of God lives in us and can change us into people who more and more progressively can be keeping this this fifth commandment. And so God, will you help us in the room? God, will you help us? It's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.